Several years ago, someone from our church had quite an unforgettable day. As an early riser, he got up early to get a jump on the day, and seeing that it was raining outside, he grabbed his umbrella and casually strolled out the door. And his goal that day was to go across town from Northeast Olympia over to the west side to visit a hospital where one of his family members was receiving care. So he walked out the door, walked down the street, hopped on the bus, journeyed across town, went to the hospital where he would spend most of his day. So while all of that was happening, here's what he didn't know. As he left the house that day, he was dressed in a hoodie and camo pants with a long black umbrella under his arm. And one of the local high school students who was on her way to school noticed him, didn't recognize him, thought something was out of place, and so she called 911 to report that there was a man in a hoodie walking around her neighborhood with a gun. You can tell where this is going. In that neighborhood, there are two schools, a middle school and an elementary school, and as word quickly spread that there was a man walking around the neighborhood with a gun, it led to a lockdown situation. Dozens of Olympia police officers filled the scene, flooded the neighborhood. All the schools went into emergency mode. There was a SWAT team that converged. Meanwhile, hours later, our friend was on the west side, left the hospital having finished his time with his family member, ignorantly retraced his steps, hopped back on the bus, going across town, and as you can imagine, word then got out that the suspect who was carrying the gun was now on the bus heading back into the neighborhood. Just a surreal kind of scene. It's like a movie. So our friend gets off the bus, it's a few blocks from home, he begins walking back to his house when he notices that there's a helicopter overhead. And when there's a helicopter over your head, it's quite noisy and annoying. As he continued walking back to his house, annoyed, he pulled out his umbrella from under his arm and he aimed it up at the helicopter. Can this get any worse? He eventually, after a few seconds, he puts the umbrella down and he waves the helicopter on and he keeps walking back to his house. This is a true story. Finally, he returns home. Literally, there's a SWAT team next door to his house. He listens to a voicemail left on his home voicemail and he begins to piece it together that he is the armed suspect in the neighborhood lockdown, that he is the suspect that the cops are there for and that the helicopter hovering over his head was there for him. And I always wonder how close he came to something tragic happening. Thank God it didn't. Thank goodness everything got sorted out, de-escalated. It's an umbrella. And it makes for quite a story. We can laugh about that now. But thinking about that story makes me curious. Here he was, just going through normal life, walking out his door, taking a stroll, riding a bus, visiting a hospital. And he's that close on the edge of danger. And it made me curious. I wonder how much of my life is lived like that, 
with oblivion to danger. Not just helicopters and SWAT teams. And I don't say this to be cute or odd or a conspiracy theorist, um, but to urge us in a biblical sense of our worldview. Do I realize that I live life in danger? Again, not helicopters, cops, SWAT teams, but do I live my life aware of the fact that there is a spiritual realm? How much do I realize that the Bible speaks of a spiritual war, a spiritual realm, that evil is real, that there are actually invisible enemies of the human soul? Do you realize that we live in a world with real and present spiritual opposition? Much of which I can be oblivious to. I'm just going through life. I'm just going to work. I'm just doing my thing. Friends, according to the Bible, I will even dare say according to Jesus, there is evil in the world. And there is an unseen enemy of your soul. Which is why I find the words of the Lord's Prayer to be so helpful, so good, so grounding, so reorienting for me. Because at the end of the prayer, we prayed it again today. We prayed each week. Jesus teaches us to pray, Father, deliver us from evil. If you haven't already, turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6, verse 9. This is the prayer that we have been praying corporately every week for a while now. As we have said, this is a prayer we want to get deep into our bones. And this fall, we've taken the prayer and we've broken it up line by line and, and for some, painstakingly walked our way through the Lord's Prayer that we may understand in full what we're actually praying. So would you hear yet again the instructive prayer of Jesus? This is Matthew 6, verse 9. Jesus says, pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Yet again, so much packed into a few little words and a few little lines, and I won't exhaust this topic today. But when Jesus uses this phrase, when he says, deliver us from evil, this word deliver, the word he uses is the Greek word ruomai, which means to deliver or rescue from severe and acute danger. That's not calm or casual. The word deliver has nothing flippant or cavalier about it. 
The word, I, the word there, the idea present in praying, deliver us, implies the sense of the need for deliverance from imminent and impending harm. Do we live life as though we understand the stakes are very high? I was talking to a friend a few weeks ago. He's been a Christian for decades. And he said, when I first became a Christian, no one told me that I was in a war. And he said, that would have been nice to know. (laughs) When you take time to read through the scriptures, this idea becomes more and more clear. That we live in a world that has evil. And that isn't up for much debate. I don't care what religious background you have, most would say, yeah, I've looked outside. I agree that there's some sense of evil. The Apostle Paul calls it, in Galatians, the present evil age. He says that we are living in the present evil age, which should give us a clue. That we live in a world that is in rebellion against God. And there's actually a struggle at hand. But even more than just being evil in the general sense or evil in the abstract sense, the Bible also teaches that there is something known as evil personified. There is someone who is called in scriptures the devil. Jesus calls him the father of lies. Others speak of him as the accuser. Literally, the Satan. Satan is not just a nice name, it's a title. The accuser. Peter speaks of this one as an adversary who prowls around like a lion seeking whom he may devour. Which I know sounds like nonsense to 2023 Americans. Superstitious. But it makes sense of Jesus' prayer upon closer examination. When Jesus teaches us to pray, deliver us from evil, he's not just talking about evil in the abstract, though I think it's included in that prayer, but I believe he's actually talking about evil specifically, personified. If you read the phrase, deliver us, there's a footnote in the ESV. It says, deliver us from the evil. That's why some translations put it, deliver us from the evil one. Deliver us from the evil one. Have you ever wondered why life is so stinking hard? Have you ever watched a news story that just churns your gut and breaks your heart where you've seen just atrocity after tragedy after atrocity after tragedy and you're like how is this possible have you ever seen people's lives get flipped turned sideways blindsided good people at the most inconvenient times things just go off the rails I'm sure many of us are aware of the Holy Trinity, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The Bible also speaks about the unholy trinity of the world, the flesh, and the devil. That yes, there is a world system at play here in rebellion against God. And there is our flesh tainted by sin. But there's also an evil one 
So we pray, deliver us, Father, from the evil one. Because in addition to the the very real struggles that are inside of us, we battle with sin and temptation and inward desires gone astray. But in addition to the inward battle of our lives, the Bible paints a picture that there are also outside battles to be fought. And this is why I believe this prayer is so important for us. This is really relevant. This is not abstract theology or nice Sunday talks. Today I want to talk about the three grounding truths of this prayer. Deliver us from evil or deliver us from the evil one. This prayer keeps us focused on the right enemy. This prayer focuses us on the right weapons. And this prayer focuses us on the right deliverer. First, the right enemy. What's wrong with the world? Like, seriously, friends, what's wrong with the world? And again, biblically speaking, you can't answer that question with at least acknowledging, again, biblically, the idea of sin. Sin is wrong with the world. We've talked about this already in this prayer. We've talked about Jesus teaching us to pray, forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. We're called as people to live in the land of forgiveness where we experience the forgiveness of God and we extend forgiveness to others. In the words of the the church father, the North African church father, Augustine, he talked about sin this way. He used a fancy Latin phrase for all of you who know Latin. Incurvatus in se, which is Latin for being curved in on oneself. He spoke of sin as being a condition that is the ultimate expression of selfish love, selfishness, that sin bends us, curves us inward as opposed to being bent toward God and others. And so we live in curvatus and say, we live curved in. And sin explains a ton of the brokenness around us. But I would say that biblically speaking, it doesn't explain it all. Sure, the Bible says that we all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We are all equally sinners in need of a Savior. But there is also something else, evil, sinister, devious going on. Have you heard the accounts in Israel, in Palestine, in Gaza? There's evil. Have you heard the stories of our own American heritage? Have you heard about lynchings? Where literally they would lynch black people and gather a crowd, take pictures, make postcards that you would send to friends, smiling with someone hanging from a tree and then go to church on Sunday. That's evil. Slavery, genocide, the slaughtering of millions through abortion, the Holocaust, an appetite for war, greed, corruption on mass scale, a sexualized culture that has been pornified. How do we explain it? Yes, sin. Yes, a world system that is in rebellion against God. 
But here's, this is interesting, here's what I hear often when we talk about those kinds of evils in the world, often people will say, maybe you said it, maybe you've heard it, they're monsters. People often speak about murderers as monsters, or we talk about those people in those far-off countries having war as monsters. We talk about pedophiles as monsters. We talk about people groups as monsters. In countries that we don't like, they're, they're monstrous. Guess what happens? We start to divide. We start to dehumanize. And we start to label all sorts of people who become our enemies. Even on much smaller scales, those who wrong us, those who hurt us, those who inconvenience us, we call them our enemies. My friends, there is an enemy, but it may not be who you think it is. I have come to believe that the more that we ignore spiritual enemies, the more that we ignore the personification of evil, the more that we dismiss a devil or demons or spiritual evil in the world, the more we tend to dehumanize other people and we make them our enemies. One of the greatest strategies of the evil one is for us to believe that he doesn't exist and that therefore we have other enemies that are flesh and blood. And we get all worked up about these people, the enemies, and we miss the real enemy. We miss the true enemy. We fall into the schemes of division and dehumanization. What's wrong with the world? The liberals. What's wrong with the world? The conservatives. The Biden lovers. No, it's the Trump lovers. No, it's the pagans. It's the religious. It's the rich. It's the poor. It's those homeless people. It's the drug addicts. It's the suburbanites. It's the blacks. It's the whites. It's your spouse. It's your kids. Fill in the blank. We love to make enemies. It's easier that way. Might we be missing the real enemy? In case you think I'm making this up. Hebrews 2.14. The author of Hebrews says, Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he, Jesus himself, likewise partook of the same things, that through death, here it is, he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil and deliver all those who, through fear of death, were subject to lifelong slavery. 1 John 3.8. The Apostle John gets real specific and simple, and he says, here's the reason that the Son of God appeared. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. Ephesians 6, 11, we're called to, by Paul, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. So as we pray, deliver us from the evil one, we are reminded yet again that we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. 
And yet we so instinctually want to wrestle against flesh and blood. And we pick our battles against flesh and blood. The scriptures remind us those are people. It's not just their issues and problems. And when we begin to do battle along the lines of flesh and blood, we're the ones who end up deceived. So to have a fighting chance, we have to start with the right enemy. And most of us have concluded that these people are our enemies who are actually not our enemy. Deliver us from the evil one. But when we understand the right enemy, we also then get focused on the right weapons. You see, when you make a mistake about your enemy, on the first issues, it naturally flows into making mistakes on secondary issues. Wrong enemies tend to result in wrong weapons. And I don't have to be a sociologist to prove this, but what weapons do we use? These become the weapons we use. When it's a flesh and blood enemy to fight, we use anger and blame, hatred, division, dehumanizing, shame, guns, fists, threats, name-calling, bullying, withdrawal, silent treatments, manipulation, power plays, gossip, and sadly, I could go on. I'm sure there's a few I've missed in our lives. These become the weapons that we use. It reminds me of the Apostle Paul's words in 2 Corinthians 10. 2 Corinthians 10.3, when he says, For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. My friends, the way of Jesus is not the way of the world. We need to hear that. The way of Jesus is not the way of prevailing culture. It's not just, what do we see others do? Okay, let's do that too. That's not the way of Jesus. The way of Jesus is not to do battle according to the flesh. Because what Paul says here in Corinthians is that those weapons actually lack divine power and they lack the ability to get at the root of the problem. The real strongholds at hand. So what are the weapons we're called to use? Well, in that passage in Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, Paul gives us one. He talks about taking thoughts captive to the obedience of Christ. There's a weapon for you. Every thought taken captive to obey Jesus. Could you imagine what a community armed with that would look like? Every thought that comes into our mind taken captive to say, that one's got to obey Jesus. That thought's got to obey Jesus. And that one has to obey Jesus. Like all of these instincts that we have, it's going to take that thought, obey Jesus. That even the thoughts of our mind and the deepest desires of our heart somehow get into alignment with obedience to Jesus. Now we're fighting well. Every thought under the rule and reign of Jesus. 
destroying arguments with truth, overcoming evil with good, engaging enemies with love. Deliver us from the evil one. That itself is a revolutionary act because it's doing the very thing that we need most, prayer. Wielding a weapon of God. Truth, goodness, love, prayer, active obedience of our thoughts to Jesus. This is not weak, passive, last resort kinds of things. It's a different kingdom kind of way. Deliver us from the evil one. Lastly then, prayer is so helpful. It reveals the right enemy. It shows us the right weapons. But it also reminds us of the right deliverer. Reality Church, who is the one who will win the day? We sang this today. Who is the one who will overcome? Who is the one who will rescue you from this present evil age? Who is the one who will rescue us from sin and death, from slavery and fear? Who is the one who overcomes the evil one who has been lying since the garden? Jesus. This is not about some advanced self-help techniques. This is not about just following a a strict moral code to make ourselves look better morally. This is not just about building better security features around those bad people that we don't want near our lives to keep us safe and keep our enemies far away. Friends, we need a rescuer. Friends, we need a deliverer. There is severe and acute danger lurking for our souls to lead you away from God, to spin you up and spin you out, to keep you from the good life, to keep us distracted and numb enough that we won't pay attention to what's really going on. And it's not something that we can do by ourselves or alone. It's not something that you can buy or upgrade to. AI won't do this. You and I can't do this. We need a deliverer, and his name is Jesus. This is the cry of the Christian church. Jesus Christ is Lord. He came out of an abundance of love. He came to seek and save the lost. He came and took on human flesh and dwelt among us. He came to make the way of the cross be the way of life. He lived a perfect life. He came announcing the kingdom of God. He healed people. He cast out demons. He was betrayed and nailed to a tree. And in that painful act of love, he did what was necessary to forgive us our sins, to defeat the evil one, and to destroy his works forever. Colossians 2 paints it vividly. Colossians 2.13 says, In you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us 
with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Paul declares, the scriptures declare that the rulers in the spiritual realm have been defeated through Jesus. They have been disarmed. He put them to open shame. He triumphed them on the third day. Don't you know he rose again? On Friday night, it looked horrible. On Saturday, it looked scary. But on Sunday morning, he rose again from the dead. And he mocked the evil powers in resurrection power. And our great deliverer, Jesus, is now seated at the right hand of the Father where he rules and reigns today. And that every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. One day, the promise of the gospel is that he will come again and he will put the world to right. And the evil one who is already defeated will be no more. This prayer, deliver us from the evil one, is again, it's the cry of the human soul for the deliverance ministry of Jesus. Deliver us, O God, from the evil one and the mess that he has made. Now some of you may be thinking, well, that's nice. Yeah, that's good. When's lunch? And obviously it's hard to cover a sermon maybe on the idea of spiritual warfare in one sermon. But I, I want to give you a couple of things practically as we end today that would keep us from repeatedly finding ourselves beat up over and over again. So a few things as we end today. How do we experience God's deliverance from the evil one? Yes, one day when he comes. But how do we begin to walk in that and experience that now? A few things. First of all, awareness. Which is part of what I'm trying to do today. Waking us up. Allowing the truth of scripture to break the spell of our current cultural moment. To realize that we live in a war and that there is an enemy of your soul who is committed to leading you far away from the love of God. And he will use deception and division and distraction to that end. Very real spiritual realities that again sound like nonsense in 2023. There are angels. The Bible says so. There are demons. There's an evil one, the devil, the Satan. And the goal, which again, I know there's always these pendulum swings, the goal is not to find a demon under every rock or to blame every time you stub your toe on a demon of the bed rail. Sometimes you just kick the bed and it hurts. 
but also not ignorance in explaining it all away. Right, as C.S. Lewis famously said, there are two equal opposite errors into which humans can fall about the devils. One is to disbelieve in their existence. The other is to believe and to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. The devils themselves are equally pleased by both errors. So we're not trying to find a demon under every rock. We're not going to cast out every demon of headache. You can take ibuprofen. But also, we can become so secular in our perspective on life that we wouldn't ever stop and ask for someone to pray for our headache or to pray for our, pray for our problems or to see things through a spiritual lens. My encouragement is for you to see the world like Jesus did, to adopt his worldview, which includes an awareness of things unseen. Secondly, May I commend to you authority, namely the authority of Jesus. And when you watch Jesus engage the spiritual realm, he was not in a tug of war between an equal and opposite spiritual power. There is one who has authority, the Bible says, Matthew 28, 18, Jesus says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. He has no rivals. He has no equals. Jesus Christ is Lord. He has all authority in heaven and earth. And so when you watch Jesus engage with evil, he does it with the power of the Holy Spirit with authority. He speaks truth. And when he casts out demons, he does it with a word. He says, go. And they leave. Jesus has authority because of who he is, because of what he has done. Evil flees in his name. And I just I want to encourage you, my friends, those who have put their faith and trust in Jesus, that authority has been given to us to share with him through faith. Ephesians says that we are seated with Christ in heavenly places. So as sons and daughters of the king, we have been given the authority of Jesus to share. We get to show up in darkness to bring the light and love of Jesus against the powers of darkness. Can I speak for a second? I know I'm over my time even today. Parents, you get to claim the authority of Jesus in your home. Parents, fathers, mothers, be a thermostat, not a thermometer. One reads the temperature, the other sets the temperature. So you get to have authority in your home. Every single day, I pray in the authority of Jesus over my kids, over my house, over my wife, over our family. I pray over this church. The authority of Jesus. We don't have to be overly obsessed about demons and being demon seekers nor do we need to be demon deniers but when evil shows up in a space in a room in your home in a life call on the name of jesus and if you if this is like i have no idea what you're talking about paul this sounds like kooky talk there are others in this community that have experience ask learn 
May we be a people who do not. I know there's some that they hear a talk about the devil and Satan and demons and evil and what's going on, and it leads to fear. We need not be afraid. The authority of Jesus, but also the armor of God. I referenced this in Ephesians 6. Ephesians 6.13 calls us to put on the armor of God. Having done all to stand, to put on the helmet of salvation and the breastplate of righteousness, girding our waist with truth, shodding our feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace, the shield of faith and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication. What is the armor of God? Again, we could talk through all the different Roman pieces of armor, but actually I think I'm more concerned with when you read about the armor of God, it has its origin in Isaiah the prophet that speaks of the armor of the Messiah who was to come. And it is the armor of the person and work of Messiah Jesus that we then get to put over our lives, that our heads would be guarded with the salvation of Jesus, that our hearts would be guarded by the breastplate of his righteousness that that which keeps our pants up and on and ready for work is the belt of his truth, that our feet are ready to walk in his peace, that faith would be what keeps us from the lies of the evil one and the word of God at our hand. You would not think about walking into battle with nothing. You do not see naked soldiers in battle. And I see naked Christians all the time have no idea of the person and the work of Jesus that is to be applied in their lives and in their community and in their homes and in their friendships each and every day. Put on the armor of God. Rehearse what is true of Jesus and see what he has to say and do to the issues at hand. We're just so busy we don't think we need it. We think it sounds superstitious. Haven't we put those fairy tales behind us? The older I get, the longer I live, the more lives I've seen destroyed, people blindsided, marriages blown up, families falling apart, countries at odds, division beyond belief. I think it's a fairy tale to not believe it. Marriages, leaders, pastors, people who I would have never guessed deliver us from the evil one. Ask for forgiveness. I'll leave that there. Here's the promise of Jesus to you. Psalm 91, verse 14. Psalm 91, 14 says, Because he holds fast to me in love, I will deliver him. I will protect him because he knows my name. When he calls to me, I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will rescue him and honor him. And T. Wright says, by, by giving us this prayer, Jesus invites us to walk ahead into the darkness and discover that it too belongs to God. I sense today is there's people even in this room that need to experience again and afresh the deliverance of Jesus. 
And the picture as I was praying even this morning for our church is there are some who we just get stuck in an eddy. I don't even know what an eddy is. I'm not one who goes on rivers much. But that was the picture of an eddy. We just get, we get stuck. And we're like, why am I? I just keep, I keep getting in this loop. We need deliverance from despair, and we need deliverance from anxiety. We need deliverance from unconfessed sin. We need deliverance from our own arrogance and pride. We need deliverance from despair and doubt. We need deliverance from lust. We need deliverance from focusing too much on the wrong enemies and the wrong weapons. Deliver us from the evil one, Lord Jesus. Let's pray. Oh God, you have come to save. In your great love, you have offered us your victory. And that doesn't mean a life free from pain or problems. But the promise of your presence, the promise of your return, and your authority, Jesus. Not in some weird name it and claim it way. But God, may we not settle for less than what you have offered us in and through the risen and ascended Jesus. So God, I pray for my friends in the room. Pray for those watching online. Again, we cry out, deliver us from evil. Lord, deliver us from the evil one. Deliver us from his deception and schemes. God, deliver us from a life that just says, well, I guess this is the way it is. God, deliver us from being content with that which is less than your best for us. So God, I pray even today that there would be a willingness in faith to come to you again and ask for your sweet and powerful deliverance from the evil one. All because of Jesus and his finished work. May we not be casualties and then we walk confidently as children. Deliver us again, O Lord, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.